those are not for me, for the preacher. What do I mean by that? If I don't have these things, boy, you'll be here for like an hour and a half, and then I'll say, now what was I saying again? We don't want that. We want to keep me on task so that uh, if we can uh, lower this or a little bit of a ring. Hear that? Grazie, Sean. So a little ringy, right? A little cavey. Ah, that's what it could be. Maybe. No, it's this. Woo! It's hot. Hear that? Okay. Maybe that's better. Let's see. All right, listen. One time I walked out and I blew my nose and it was on. And, and I was out there in the foyer and I, and I went... And I also I just hear this roar of laughter, and I'm like, no way. <laughs> the good thing is I didn't have to go to the bathroom. <laughs> that would have really been rough. But anyway, okay, sorry. Now that we're all loose and, and uh, relaxed a little bit. So I had the privilege of marrying my niece and her new husband last night, yesterday. So that's why we're back so soon from Italy. I was just getting into the rhythm of things, and they pulled me back. No. So it was a, it's a joy to be here, but I'll be back. In 11 days, I fly back from Newark to Naples. And then I preach at a church there that's a bilingual, a sister church of ours down near Naples. So uh, please be praying for that and be praying for me. They have me leading worship in Italian. And it's like, I'm not fluent yet. And they're like, oh, you could do it. I'm just like, all right, listen. All right, so uh, be praying for that and be praying for our church as we uh, ramp up like you all do here with uh, our fall festivities and ministries and um, all the groups start up again. So be praying for that and be praying for our outreach. Um, we're in Salerno, um, in the city of Salerno, but we have, a, um, I guess, an hour, um, within an hour radius of folks that come to us because we're really one of the only uh, gospel-centered evangelical churches in that whole area. So um, we have our work cut out for us, so please be praying for that. All right, so as we turn to the Word of God, we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians 5.15. But before we even look at that verse, I'm going to ask you to do me a favor. Um, are there, does anybody here actually take notes? Let's see the brave person. Okay, there's a few. Well, I, I know a lot of you probably didn't bring a pen who don't take notes normally, but you might have brought your phone and you have those little apps where you can, you know, notes. So I'm going to ask you to actually, a pastor who asks you to take your phone out for a minute. Uh, just be ready. I'm, I'm going to ask a question, and I just, whatever comes to your head first, I want you to answer it. Just write it down real quick. It's, it's not real deep. And then actually after we do this, we'll pray, I'm getting the word, and I'll jump right in. All right, so let me ask you this. My wife always says that. Let me ask you this. Here we go. First thing that comes to your mind, why did Jesus die? Okay, write it down. Why did Jesus die? Just what comes to your, your first answer. I'll give you a couple seconds, and while you're doing that... Um, I'm going to talk about the, uh, ever see that uh, game show Family Feud? You know, they survey a certain amount of people and they say the top eight answers or something. Well, I, I have a feeling I know what's going to be. Survey says number one is going to be ding. It's going to be what you're all going to say right now. All right, so let's just get some answers real quick. Um, let's see, who, who actually did it? Raise your hand. Who wants to be a volunteer? What did you say? For our salvation. For our salvation. 
because he loved us. Who else? Anybody else? Conquer sin. For our sins. Survey says, bing, for our sins. Right? And then, then we all go, da 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 Come on. That, that's number one, and obviously, I mean, it's the one, the foundational one, right? Foundational answer. But, uh, you know, years ago, I realized that the, that the answer to that question is like a diamond. And what I mean by that is a diamond is one thing, but it has so many facets, right? Well, the answer to that question, why did Jesus die, has a lot of facets. Because there are a lot of answers in the Word of God to why Jesus died. Primary, primary, the primary one is for our sins. So we could say it this way. He died so I could be justified. Amen? Like that'll preach, right? But I want to mention just a few other reasons. Um, and before we do that, let's pray. Father God, we do pray for your blessing on our time and your word. We pray that you would encourage our hearts, that you would nourish our faith, and that you would give us uh, the grace to live for you, not just on Sundays, not, not, and, and to praise you, not just when we're together uh, through praise songs, but Lord, in our minds, the way we think, uh, putting, death, putting to death uh, sinful thoughts, Lord, in the way we live, in our attitudes, and in our actions, Lord. So we pray that you would use your word as a means of grace to help us to live lives of gratitude out of uh, thanksgiving for what you did for us, Jesus, on the cross. Uh, be with us now as we look at your word. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so let's, I'm going to mention some of the other reasons that the Word of God gives us uh, for why Jesus died. Uh, first one is 1 Thessalonians 5.10. I'm going to go through these quickly. So you, if you're a quick Bible page turner, by all means do it. If not, you can just listen, check up on me later. I'll give my email if you want to write. 1 Thessalonians 5.10, Paul says this. He died for us so that, he's going to give us a reason, right? Whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. So in other words, he died in order that those who believe in him might live together with him, both here, have fellowship with him here on earth, right? And then, of course, fellowship with him in glory, in heaven. He died to secure us a place in glory. And we're to encourage one another uh, with those great words. So we could also say, this will preach too, he died so I could be glorified. I'm telling you, I'm going back to AC. It's all coming back to me. Ephesians 2.14, we have this reason. Uh, Paul tells us he died to destroy the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility that separated Jew and Gentile. In other words, Jesus died to reconcile the two greatest enemies in the human race, the Jews and the Gentiles. So that means he didn't just die to reconcile us this way, right? He died to reconcile us this way. That was one of the purposes of the death of Jesus. Now this one, I don't know if you ever thought about this one. This one is so cool. I had to preach a sermon on it before I left AC. You know, I only had like a few left. I'm like, this is going to be one of them. And it's Hebrews 2, 14. And we read this. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. So we learn in that passage that, passage that Jesus died to destroy the devil and to free us from being enslaved to our fear of death. That's a big one. 
Because we all know unless Jesus comes in our time, that's an appointment we're going to keep. We're not going to be late for that one. But Jesus says, don't worry. I was once dead, but now I live forevermore, and I have the keys. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? You know, I don't have the keys, but my Lord and Savior does. And I'm with him. Amen? All right. Now, I can go on and on because I really want to go on. because By the way, I want to do something really edifying. Go home and look up all the reasons you can for why Jesus died. That's a great Bible study. Just do on your own between you and the Lord in your uh, quiet time. But we're going to look at one, one more this morning. And it's in 1 Corinthians 5.15. And this is our text. And I'm going to almost pull a little bit of a spurge in here. I'm really going to stick with one verse. only mention a couple of the verses in passing. But we're going to look at, uh, sorry, uh, 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 5.15. And Paul comes right out and gives us this inspiring and challenging reason why Jesus died. And this is what Paul says in the 1984 NIV version. Only because that's what I memorized. You know, when you first get saved, you have one version that you stick with and it stays in your head. Although I challenge you to, to, to memorize, to say uh, Psalm 23 without putting a thee or a thou or one of those things in there. Yay, even though I, why am I saying that? I don't, I've never read the, anyway, okay. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm being a little crazy this morning, but that's, um, I don't get to preach as much over there, so this is good. All right, so, and he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. That's the reason. See, and this is why this verse is super important. He didn't die for us just to take away our sins, give us a place in heaven when we die, and leave us the same way he found us. Isn't that one of the big problems in our culture today? No, Jesus came to literally transform our lives so that we would no longer live for ourselves but for him who died and rose again. You know, Martin Luther defined sin this way. I, thought, I always thought this was the most interesting definition of sin. Sin is a curving in on oneself. Isn't that interesting? It's what it is, isn't it? Another way to put it is that Jesus died to completely change the orientation of your life. To turn you away from being self-centered to be Christ-centered. You know, we use that word a lot. But we do so for a reason. To cause you to stop living for yourself and instead to live for him. Now listen, this, I always love this illustration. It's to bring about this genuine spiritual uh, Copernican revolution. Wait, you guys remember Copernicus, right? I mean, you know, I'm not a big history buff, but what I do know, he came around, he said, uh, excuse me, entire globe, world. <laughs> I got to tell you something. The world, the rest of the planets and the sun don't revolve around the earth. Surprise, surprise. Now, of course, people didn't like to hear that. He got in trouble for that, but that's what happens when you tell the truth, right? He said, actually, the earth and all the other planets revolve around the sun. So if you're a believer here this morning, that's what happened when you got saved. When you came to know Jesus as Lord and Savior, you realized for the first time in your life, Jesus doesn't exist for you. Shocking.
you exist for him. All the planets, all the other, all believers in all the world, we all revolve around the sun, S-O-N, along with the angels who are just fellow servants of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I remember when I first got saved, one of the great joys of my life was, wow, I found my purpose. And it's not this petty little thing to find my pleasure, to get myself glory, to have my petty plans. I am involved in something so much greater and bigger and huger than myself. I'm a part of the kingdom of God. I'm a part of the history of redemption, of the story of Genesis to Revelation. I have a part in that. Even if I'm just santuzzo. By the way, it just means little saint. I wear that proudly. I'd rather be a little saint. Than a big worldly person. Amen? And that's what happens when we got saved. We all of a sudden had this desire, and you knew it had to be supernatural. Uh, for some, I know for myself, this had to be a supernatural thing. But the new desire was to see Jesus glorified, to see his name made great, to see his kingdom come, his will be done. Hallowed be thy name. These are things that were way far, and not only in my lips, but my mind and my heart. And that's what Jesus did for you, too, if you know him here this morning. So what we're going to see this morning, and this reason I didn't give an outline, by the way, there really isn't an outline. There's just one, one sentence we're just going to keep looping around for a few moments here and meditate on and think about and chew on and ask the Lord to apply in our lives. And that's simply this. He died for you that you might live for him. See, that's something you can memorize, right? Or you can say, he died for me, that I might live for him. So we're going to see in this text. So that's what we're going to look at. And we'll read the verse again. We're going to look at it from a few different angles. Um, and just so that it'll really get in us a little bit. Um, the same way the other answer was in us so easily. Jesus died for our sins. Maybe we can more and more be able to say, he died so I could live for him. Right? So let's take a look. Uh, verse 15 again. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them. And was raised again. Now here's the big question. It starts off, and he died for all. I didn't want to spend a lot of time on this. But you know, we have to deal with what the scripture says, not what we want it to say. Can I get a witness? Or I don't like this, so I'm just going to skip to the next part. I'm not doing that. Um, that would be a dereliction of my duty. But notice here, who are the all? Oh boy. Because here's the issue here we have to think about in this text. Listen up. What people don't understand, it, it cannot mean, when you, when you compare Scripture with Scripture, and even this own, the passage itself in its context, which we're going to see in a moment, all cannot be every single individual on earth that ever lived. It literally can't be, or else guess what you become? A universalist. You know what a universalist is? It says that everybody gets saved. It doesn't matter if they believe in Jesus or not. Everybody's going to heaven. The Bible does not teach that. So who are the all that he died for? Remember, he's writing to the Corinthian Christians. That's the first hint. But secondly, he says that those who live should no longer live for themselves. What's he talking about? Those who have been resurrected spiritually. 
those who are, remember the Bible talks about, alive in Christ. How do we know this? Well, um, if you look down, first of all, look at the verse before verse 15, verse 14. He, uh, Paul says, for Christ's love compels us because uh, we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. That means not only did Christ die for us on the cross, but we died with Christ. Talks about that, uh, Paul talks about that in Romans 6, 7, 8. So the point is, believers died with Christ. If folks who don't know Lord, the Lord, unfortunately, that's why we evangelize, um, they're not dead with Christ. They're what? Dead in sin. They have not yet been made alive. And that's why we're going to see in a moment Paul appeals for them to be reconciled. And then notice also in verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, listen to this, he's a new creation. He's alive. Uh, the old has gone, the new has come. Those who are alive, who live, are those who have been made alive in Christ. They've been made new creations, just like um, that caterpillar, you know, that was in that cocoon. He did all this weird metamorphosis stuff. They're really ugly and nasty. And then all of a sudden they pop out of that. Man, they got wings. They're monarchs. That's what Jesus did for us. We are created in Christ Jesus. Something we couldn't do for ourselves. So that, then, that way when we understand what it does mean, then we can understand the application. And then we see how powerful the all is. The all simply means this. First of all, it means he didn't do this just for leaders in the church like elders, deacons, and missionaries. Because it kind of sounds like a high call, doesn't, doesn't it? He died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again. Oh, those are the superhero Christians. Nope, it's just ordinary me and you. It's all. And I think the other thing that, that's interesting here, um, don't forget who he's writing to. You know, again, let's always keep these things in context. He's writing to the Corinthians. Mamma me. This, this is the church where people, it, it totally defeats the argument, oh, well, it would be so nice to go back to the early church. <laughs> would it really? <laughs> like imagine being a part of the Corinthian congregation. What a mess. But so their problem was, obviously, not only was there rich diversity in that crew, you had uh, slave and free, right? You had poor and rich. You had uh, Greek and Jew. You had educated, non-educated, male, female, you name it. You had it in, in that church. But the other problem was they were so, uh, they had so many divisions, right? I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. They were constantly bickering and fighting. You know, that beautiful chapter on love was because they were so not loving each other. And it's that group that needs to hear, and it's our group that needs to hear, he died for all. Yeah, that means your brother or sister who you sometimes find it hard to get along with. That means your brother or sister is from a different uh, background, different culture, and big one, different socioeconomic group. He died for them too. And he died for them so that they would no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died and rose again. So, what about unbelievers who aren't included in the all? Well, Paul has something for them. Of course, evangelist Apostle Paul does, and I hope you do too. It's in verse 20. Paul says this, We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. 
If you're worried that you're not alive in Christ, that you're not a part of the all, Jesus says, well, what are you waiting for? I've done the work. Be reconciled. The problem's not on my side. I already did my part. Trust me. Believe in me. Turn from your idols to me, the living God. See, people often view us Christians as being repressed. Can I get a witness? Being stifled, as being restricted. Oh, I don't want to be a Christian, then my life's going to be restricted. And we wouldn't want that, by the way. But the truth is, Bob Dylan had it right. I know, I hate to say it sometimes, but you know, his singing could use some help. But he did have it right here. you got to serve somebody. You know, it might be the devil, or it might be the Lord, but you got to serve somebody. Because here's the truth. You can serve yourself and Satan, and then you're enslaved to your own sin. You're not free. You're under the dominion of the devil. Let me tell you, um, some of us know, unfortunately, by experience, we wish we didn't, but sin is a harsh master. It doesn't let up. And it leads to a grim end. It's called spiritual death. But you can also serve the one who died and rose again. Jesus Christ, who invites you with these liberating words. Some of the best in Scripture. When, remember when Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is what? Easy. And my burden is light. That's the master I want. He died for all. That's the who. Those who trust in him. Those who are his elect. Those who are alive in him. But now we're going to look at the why. And that's the only other thing we're going to look at. Um, again, notice that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Charles Kingsley once wrote this. If you want to be miserable, great way to start a sentence, think much about yourself, about what you want, about what you like, what respect people ought to pay you, and what people think of you. Isn't that true? That's misery. People are always worried about that stuff. And here's what the, the beauty of what this text says. Jesus died and rose to save us from that. To get that burden off us. Think of it this way. When God first created man in his image, what did he create him for? To glorify God. To delight in God. To enjoy him. To have sweet communion with God. One of my favorite uh, passages, in, passages in Scripture is when it talks about Adam and Eve when they are uh, walking in the cool of the day with God. Isn't that a cool Especially, I don't know, it was really hot in Italy in July and this month. Mama me, was it hot. But you think of the cool of the day. So later on in the day, when the cool, I would open up all the windows, all the doors. Ah, well, imagine you're walking with God in intimacy and in freedom. That's what it was like before 
we fell for the lie. Before we went from absolute freedom to absolute bondage. And also think about this. You can have everything from every single tree. Is that freedom or what? Just one. You can't just eat only one. And that was too restrictive apparently. Because we know what happened. Man made a complete mess of it by falling for the devil's lies. And I bring this up as an illustration for our text because one of those lies was simply this. Basically, what the serpent was saying is, God isn't good. You don't realize how heinous that is, that statement and that thought. Because he's saying, look, the only reason God is keeping you from having this is because he knows that when you eat of it, you're going to be like him. So in other words, God's withholding from you. He's holding you back from being self-actualized. He doesn't want you to be satisfied. God don't want you to be happy. Almost every time we sin, if not every time we sin, we fall for that lie. I need this because this will satisfy me. I need this because this is good for me. Even when God says, no. Santo, no. Which I hear a lot in Italy. No, Santo, no. Santo, no. But God says no. When God says no, it's for his glory and your own good. But we have to remember, and this is what is really cool about this text. Far from God wanting to prevent us from reaching our true potential, great lie, something incredible happened over 2,000 years ago. God himself said, I'm going to take care of this once and for all. And he was willing to become one of us, a mere mortal, to be mistreated, to be scorned, to be rejected, and to be crucified by the very people he created for his own glory. On top of that, God doesn't need us to be happy. Remember the consequences God said would happen if they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? God can't lie. God is just. He's got to keep his word. He said they would die, and they died physically, and that's part of the curse. But they died spiritually too. And Jesus not only took the physical death that we deserve, but this, and this is the thing we miss on Good Friday very often. People talk about how gory his death was and you know, the physical suffering, which it was for sure. But it was the spiritual suffering. You know, he descended into hell. Guess where, where that happened? On the cross. There's those words, those chilling words that he said. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You have to understand this is the eternal God. Second person of the Holy Trinity never has been away from his Father and the Holy Spirit. Blessed Trinity. And his Father had to turn away. And he looked up rejected. Why did he do that? He did that to save us from a worse death, worse fate than physical death. The Bible calls it the second death. You don't ever want to face that debt because that's eternal. 
He came to take the consequences of our sin on the cross. So what Paul is saying is that one of the reasons he did this was so that we could be freed from the bondage of living for ourselves and be set free to live for him, the one who loved us and gave himself for us, the one who created us for his own glory, and so that we could have abundant life in him. We don't have to fall for that lie. The grass is not greener. Sin is pleasurable for a season, but then it pays very bitter dividends. So how does this work in everyday life? This is important to be practical. Well, the cross of Christ is a daily reminder that God is indeed good, that he's not withholding good from us. For, uh, from us. He's not making up arbitrary rules to keep us from being happy. You know when you ask somebody, you're like, why? And they give you this reason, you're like, seriously? Well, that's not God. If he says no, there's a very good reason. On the contrary, he tasted death and hell so that we could taste life in heaven. That's someone worthy of our trust and our worship. And that first song we sang about giving everything to him. Tim Keller in his book, The Reason for God, writes this. And I thought that was very powerful. He said, if we again ask the question, why does God allow evil and suffering to continue? And we look at the cross of Jesus, we still don't know what the answer is. I like that honesty. However, we know what the answer isn't. This is powerful. It can't be that he doesn't love us. It can't be that he's indifferent or detached from our condition. God takes our misery and suffering so seriously that he was willing to take it upon himself. See, does God really have my best interest in mind? Well, the cross answers that question once and for all. And it puts, instead of an exclamation point at the end of this sentence, it's a cross. And that's the, the thing that we always say. God is good. All the time. That's right. And the exclamation point is the cross. And that's why, brothers and sisters, we don't live for ourselves anymore, but for him who died and rose again. We know his will is good. We know his ways are right. We know uh, that he is just. We trust the teaching of his word. We listen and heed the teachings of his word, both his warnings and his promises. Both are important. You know, I don't know if you ever noticed this. In Hebrews 11, it says that by faith, when warned, Noah built the ark. Do you notice that? That was, that was the promise. That was the warning. But it was Noah trusted God. Okay. You want me to build an ark where there's never been rain and I'm not near any water? I'll do it. Because you said it. Now there's this old illustration. Don't worry, I'm almost coming to an end here. This is old illustration, and I don't think it's true. I don't think it ever happened. But, you know, we, we quote from movies and all these other things that didn't happen, like Star Wars or something. That never happened. But we still can make a point, and that's what I'm going to do this morning. And it, it concerns Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> You may have heard this one, excuse me. Abraham Lincoln went by a slave block, the story is told, and he bought a young slave girl. He won the bid, 
And as he's walking away with her, he says, young lady, you are free. And she said, what does that mean? And he says, it means you're free. And she said, does this mean uh, I can say whatever I want to say? He said, yeah, my dear, you can say whatever you want to say. Does that mean I could be whatever I want to be? And Lincoln says, yes, you could be whatever you want to be. And she says, she asks, does that mean I could go wherever I want to go? And he said, yes, you can go wherever you want to go. And the girl with tears running down her face said, then I want to go with you. That's what Jesus did for you and me. He bought us out of the slavery of sin. Now, where do you want to go? I don't know about you. I want to go with him. He died for you that you might live for him. You know, there's a great passage in Colossians 1.16. And it says this. Speaking of Jesus, all things were created by him and for him. Whoa, that second half kind of hit me when I first read that. I know I've been, I'm created by Jesus, but did you know you're created for him? That's an incredible thought. To bring him joy, to bring him delight, to bring him glory, to reflect back, back his attributes. Of course, we have to ask the question, and I, I do it every day. Are we living for Jesus today, or are we living for ourselves? This is like a, a spiritual you know, front-end alignment. We get in our cars. Are we really concerned with his glory, or are we concerned for our own glory? Constantly have to rethink that when I find myself uh, doing different things, saying different things, thinking different things. Are you more interested in your own business or his business? You know, it's an interesting thing. I'm going to be preaching on this in a couple weeks in Italy. When Paul talks about sending Timothy to the Thessalonians, he says, I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare, for everyone thinks of their own business. But Timothy is concerned with Christ's business. And it's interesting, we take this passage seriously and we go to apply it today, which I hope every single person does who hears this. And of course, what are people going to call us? Crazy? It's another word, it's another F word, fanatics. So I say that because George uh, Verrer really pointed out this great point. He says, a fanatic, listen to this definition of a fat fanatic, best one I've ever found. A fanatic is a person who loves Jesus more than you do. Think about it. Isn't that true? That's true, right? It's like, hey, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. You're going too far because <laughs> you're not willing to give up as much as that. You know, it's like this. It's so true. My brothers and sisters, this morning, let's remember it's not about me. It's not about you. It's all about Jesus, the one who died. And don't forget, he rose from the dead. He lives. He's real. So next time someone asks you or you ask yourself the question, why did Jesus die? You could say, he died so I could be justified. You could say, he died so I could be glorified. 
Yes, he died so I could be sanctified, but in particular, in particular, we should be able to say this. He died for me that I might live for him. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we know um, how weak we are. We know how inconsistent. We know how sinful. We know that um, our zeal is not what we long for it to be at times for you and for your glory. And so we come to you again. We come to you, the only person who can change hearts through the power of your resurrection, through the power of your grace. And so we come and we ask that you would use even the words that you spoke to us this morning uh, to set our hearts and our lives on fire, Lord, that more and more we would have a passion to see you, Lord Jesus, glorified and magnified and lifted up and praised and worshiped and to see so many more people, Lord, before it's too late, bow the knee now, willingly, to find the joy that we have known and that we want more of for trusting in you and following in you. Thank you so much, Lord, for being willing to take our shame, our pain, and our blame so we could be freed from the misery of the in the bondage of serving self instead of the one true God. It's in your name we pray, Jesus.